Hi, you're listening to Wimbledon, hosted by me, Nick Ray. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I'm so this week's podcast or this episode is a very special one for me because this is actually the person who is probably the first person I thought of when I was trying to work out who can I interview who's super cool and has achieved some massive things. Uh, so I've been pursuing Christina here for <laughs> months and months and months. And I was beginning to get a bit paranoid that she was ignoring me. Turns out she was no. busy having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so Christina here is an Olympic, ex-Olympic swimmer, uh, has also been to um, Columbia University and also INSEAD and done an MBA just like I did. Uh, in fact, that's not where we met. We met in a company, EF, which is another company I've yeah. talked about a lot. So I'm going to get uh, Christina to give us a bit of her backstory, a bit about herself, and then we're going to get into it and talk about... Um, philosophies around winning so christina over to you okay um really quick i guess um so i am an argentine american um uh, swimmer i guess i would say uh, my parents are Ar argentine immigrants and i was born in the states and um, i started swimming from a young age basically in city funded programs it was a sport my mother saw calmed me was I was a high intense energy kid and um, swimming basically has been a part of my life geez, since I was six years old, competitively speaking. And um, I attended Columbia University. I swam on two Olympic games, 96 and 2000. Um, I won six national titles. I won an Olympic gold medal in 96. We broke the Olympic record. And in 2000, I was Olympic team captain, named by my teammates, and also won a bronze medal in the 200 individual medley at the Sydney Olympic Games. And sorry, can you still hear me? Yes, I have this I little guy. Um, <laughs> and education-wise, Columbia, as you noted, INSEAD, um, and now through life working in HR, finance, um, as an executive coach, also as a swim coach, um, I'm happy to say my husband and I melded together our passions of education, community, and swimming, and we have a swim school in Fairfield County in Connecticut. Oh, that was such a good summary. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my <laughs> goodness. And, uh, and your husband was also a former uh, semi -prof professional or semi-professional football player, or soccer player. Semi, Sorry, yeah. No, footy, yeah, football, <laughs> but the one with her foot, soccer. Yeah. Um, yes, he played, but in the 80s, he's a little older than me, so he's used to those really short shorts and the long oh, hair, nice. and I always crack up. We still have some of his old uniforms. <laughs> Maybe I should use that as the thumbnail. Oh, my God. I guess so. <laughs> hysterical um, but yes um, so we both have competitive background by nature but he's far further along in terms of the intellectual pursuits um, and I learn a lot from him um, in that respect and it's just it's nice because we have other passions besides this but the idea of setting up this swim school it's really it's a melding of our backgrounds, but it's also what gave us the ability to be later in life parents, to be with our kids mm. more often. So our focus is on family and community, and it really gives us space to focus on ours. 
I think it, yeah, just to, just to sort of, uh, I guess, step back to what I know about you and, and, uh, and I'm guessing about your husband. I don't think I've met your husband, but uh, uh, it seems to me that, you know, he, he, you said he works in higher education and I, I get the feeling and I've always got the feeling from you, you're, you're into people. <laughs> and I think, yeah. you know, all the things you've just said along the way, you know, speak to that as well, especially the coaching. But uh, I, I know that also, and hopefully we'll talk about this, you know, when it came to com competition as well, you were very interested in the people around you and, and, and get energy from that. But do you think, yes. is that, is that, do you think that is what what drives you? Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sort of jump straight into this thing about competition and competitive nature because you have literally competed at the highest levels and i'm really interested to know what you think about yourself in terms of are you hyper competitive yeah or not it's so oh so this is a great question um after years of therapy <laughs> no um i joke i'm a psychiatrist daughter so you can imagine <laughs> no but um i i have to say there are Competitiveness falls on a spectrum. And one of the things for my personal journey with swimming is that I am competitive by nature, but I'm not competitive in a way that I want to rip apart my competitors and throw them. I enjoy a fun race, but then hanging out and chatting after. And I loved, I loved competing and I loved the water. However, as I got higher up in the echelons of swimming, I would say the intensity I felt from some of my competitors, I did not appreciate, I did not enjoy. And mm. I know that there are certain people who revel in that, but that was one place where I would say, my coach would call it a flaw. He would tell me I'm too nice because the connection with people was more important to me than obliterating them in the pool. Um, can I give you an anecdote that I read? And I really, it was one of those moments where I realized, wow, I'm definitely different. And this was after the Boston Marathon, you know, the, the bombing that happened there. I remember reading about a woman who was coming back to train for, and, you know, she wanted to win the Boston Marathon. And she talked about her level of competitiveness and how she looked to literally tear apart her competitors and I remember reading that and feeling embarrassed for her and thinking, oh, my gosh, like, you really think about that and think that that's. And the person she was speaking to was like applauding her and going, wow, what a competitive nature. And I thought it's such a there's such a spectrum in what competitiveness looks like. And for me, it's always been about I like raising the bar on myself. Mm -hmm. I like seeing what I can do. What can I do when no one else is watching me? What can I do when I, I, everything's on the line? Um, but I know for myself that I had my best competition when I felt the atmosphere was, let's all do our best. And maybe that's my connection with people and I enjoy that team environment more. Um, but I know if you want to talk about where my weakness was and where my coach would say why I didn't you know, when those individual gold medals and break those world records is that I didn't have that edginess to me where I wanted to obliterate people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Interesting. So interesting. But I, I think it's for, for me, it is fascinating because I, I, I and I think we've, we've talked about it, especially in one of the podcasts where I, I it's the 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 standard um, 
reaction I get, uh, the standard reaction I get to kind of me talking about winning and, and, and uh, you know, how to win or whatever or constructing a win, a lot of people react negatively to it. And they say, well, I don't like the word win because it means there's a loser. And, you know, and, and, and there's that kind of like negative association with the that mm. type of thing, probably linked to that type of competitive nature you've just described, the hyper competitive rip the person apart. But I know from experience and, and I've seen, you know, none of the top people in the world in whatever they're doing not just sport but none of the top people get there by just tearing everyone else apart they get there because they they work towards they carefully construct how they're going to get there and they work towards it and i mean i, I think i'm really yeah. interested to know as well you you say my coach would say yeah. talk to me a bit about the coaching the importance of coaching teams and the importance of your journey yeah. with coaches through your swim career in particular but then through life um it's like a big question because when i think about what coaching means to me at that age when i was on the national team and gunning for olympic gold what i experienced and then what i think of what i would like to see now very different things and what i mean by that is I think a lot of how I'm speaking very American specific, our society is very much based on winning. I mean, I think of someone like Summer Sanders, who's a role model of mine, the 92 Olympics in Barcelona. She breaks the American record in the 400 IM. She is elated. She won a bronze medal and she's walking into the press room and she's just so excited. And one of the press people immediately put a microphone in her mouth and go, you just lost the gold medal. How do you feel about yourself? And I, I mean, and she was in tears. And her teammate, who was one of the captains of the team, said, don't even listen to them. You broke the American record. What, you know, it's, it's about that, that type of focus. And unfortunately, that is very much a focus. I mean, you saw it in terms of um, it's, it's, it's what people can understand society when they're watching the Olympics. I mean, Seinfeld even has a bit on this where he goes, you know, what it must feel like to the silver medalist in the Olympics. He goes, congratulations, you're the first loser. And, you know, everyone's laughing and giggling, but there is that certain level of pressure and you feel it and it reverberates into how a lot of people tend to coach. Um, And I always talk about the different methods of coaching, the carrot or the stick. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of what I see in sport, first of all, coaches are motivated and incentivized to win. So they narrow oftentimes their focus on the top portion or the people who can bring them that, that are going to make sure and ensure their bonuses. Um, Sometimes they will allow certain behavior to go on um, among, you know, among some of their athletes because those are the ones who are producing. I mean, I've seen this in the working world too. Um, And all of those things, I think of say more about who you are, uh, you know, um, say more about what kind of environment you're building, what kind of environment um, you're, you're cultivating. Um, And those type of things that I, I think it's more about creating this sense of absence, a vacuum that it makes the the athlete have to fill. Whereas when I think about a work I did and what led me full circle to come to executive coaching is this idea that the person is already whole. 
you're just challenging and supporting them to help them figure out their best balance. So it's a lot more about the motivation of it. And I'm not saying all athletic coaches are like that, but a lot of athletic coaching I tended to see when I was swimming was about controlling the environment, controlling the athlete, and squeezing as much out of them as you can, as opposed to creating this sense of support and pillow and motivation that they can actually see who they are and their whole potential. Mm. Because you're on a certain timeline, there's only so much space. Um, and I, I noticed that that's a big difference in, and I would love to see more of a type of executive coaching, and maybe it is. Maybe that sophistication has found itself two decades later now in sport. Um, but wouldn't that be interesting? I, I, I mean, from what I gather and, and the things that I follow, I follow, I mean, I love the sport of rugby, which I know isn't, it's certainly not that huge over in America and things, but I'm sure you know about it with your Argentinian yes. roots. But, and my grandfather was a rugby player. Oh, there you Cuba. go. Cool. Argentina are doing amazing at the moment. But anyway, that I'm not going to get digressed on that. But the, the point I was going to make is I see a lot of top level coaches now taking more approaches with those, those elements of the game and things. Uh, of course, in the end, execution of the strategy of how to win you know a tough game or a swim meet you know it requires physiology to be up to the peak performance it, it requires mm -hmm. the, the athletes to be in their peak condition if it's a team event it, it, it requires you know practice to execute the strategy in the right way with the right timing right flow etc etc so all of those things are very relevant and have always been i think the the way in which people are incentivized to go there and mo keep themselves motivated to go there is for me that's where th what you've just described comes in so importantly and this i have to say is a big piece of i mean i i coached at the college level and make no mistake all of my bonuses were related to the placing of the team and you know what we were able so it it, it does make you focus on the very small percentage at the top which um unfortunately creates an awful team dynamic mm. um I chose not to do it that way. I only coached for a couple of years, but I didn't appreciate, I didn't enjoy that. I also spent a lot more time actually having some kids leave because I noticed they were swimming because it's what mommy told them to do or it's what made them successful to round out their resume, even though they were exhausted with the whole idea of trying to be everything for other people. And I said, you shouldn't be swimming. This should be an enjoyable aspect of what you do. Mm -hmm. um, this is also kind of what my issue is with um, what I've seen in terms of younger kids swimming, um, what you see, how coaches, and it, it is, it's coaches only have so much time and space, so it's not to, but how, who are they going to focus on? It is exciting to work with kids who are winning, and but trust me, you'd probably have a number more winning or producing in different ways, maybe not in the swimming, but how you can bring the best out of them and how that can parlay into other parts of their life. And so it's just very hard in, I mean, when you think about it, uh, sport is very much about win, lose, yeah. where you go. So it's, it's hard not to have a coach focusing on that aspect and focusing more on the well-roundedness of kids. 
we briefly touched on it before we started talking and I said don't let's not talk over talk everything before the podcast <laughs> because we don't want to ruin the conversation but I think it links yeah. back to the thing you referenced uh, around sort of exceptional characters and 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 when you were faced with a kid who was probably you know who maybe got to college I know in the US getting a scholarship to get to college is ex- in itself a huge achievement for for any kid you know it means you've you've been exceptional in your realm in that in that sport uh and you've shown great potential uh, i think i'm sort of fascinated as well by what else could those exceptional people achieve and i i wanted you to talk a little bit about your feelings around the difference between perhaps competitiveness ambition discipline self-discipline i mean when you think about especially swimmers you guys get up every yeah. morning at whatever five o'clock in the morning go swimming for a couple of hours <laughs> go away eat a ton of food and then come back at lunchtime swim again and then swim in the evening and you're just constantly swimming 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 the discipline to do that i know is is phenomenal and i think discipline plays such an enormous part in high level especially yes. high level sport i i absolutely agree and um i mean this is where i tend to, uh, i'm going to talk about michael phelps because he's just an incredible person athlete and I was kind of on my way out as he was starting his first Olympic Games was my last and I remember even in the lead up those couple of years um, before and then after um, the first Olympic Games watching him watching him in the sense of he had a coach who was very meticulous and he ingrained that in Michael from a very young age and in every sense of the word the Um, He would get out of his race. He had to drink his shake within a certain amount of time, warm down a certain amount of time after each race, um, continue to move in a certain way, do his certain stretches. He had everything very much as a process. And then he's also has a perfect physique in terms of his wingspan is virtually longer than his height. And he's competitive as anything. I mean, it started out with wanting to basically beat his sister and (laughs) look where, but um, that you mix all of that together. But a lot of the unsexy of the job is an obsessive nature. Almost. I would call it, I I definitely was more OCD when I was swimming um, in every sense of the word. Um, If I, relate relate it to sport i think there is a big piece of the fact that when you are in a sport you can very often get very clear or it's perceived to be clear feedback and how you're doing Mm. so if i do this if i train this way i compete i immediately get feedback okay now i will just here and i'll go back to the drawing board it's very gratifying Real life doesn't work that way, right? You can work really hard on a project and then your boss kills it. Um, Or you don't really take part in something, but your name is on it. And all of a sudden you're getting lauded as this amazing team member. And so things like that are, I know, a hard adjustment for athletes. But I would say, yes, there is an OCD nature, I think, in terms of um, athletic prowess um, or exceptionalism in any sense. There has to be a passion for it. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is a sense of you enjoy it even during the awful grind because there's a time where we all hate what we're doing. You just hit those moments. And I'll tell you, 5 o'clock in the morning when you're diving in the water in the middle of February in the Northeast in the States, that's not a time where you think, I love this sport. (laughs) But you're doing it because you're thinking, I do this, I've done more this day, 
by 7 a.m. than most of my competitors have or so there's there's that discipline and then there's you know always a constant focus on it focus everything relates to it my entire world revolved around my swimming schedule my four-year plan where I was going was what I was doing um, and the singularity of all of that you have to thrive in that as well but the passion along with that ability to um, hone in and just be very methodical about it and everything and constantly revisiting, revisiting, revise, revise, revisiting, revisiting, and then add a touch of the competitiveness and whether that's competitiveness turned outwards of towards others, using them as pegs to move yourself up or inwards of where can I go with this? Mm. I think those are the three real key pieces that I think of when I look at exceptionalism. So, but is it then competitiveness or is it ambition? Because, and, and is there a difference even? Because I, I think it's really interesting, again, linked to that point about sort of ripping, I love the ripping the, you know, the comp competition apart or whatever and tearing <sighs> the shreds versus yeah. benchmarking yourself against, I really want to be there. I want to get, I want to achieve that result. I know I can push myself to that limit yeah. and, and and let's see how that goes kind of thing. What what it like I I don't know. Is it ambition? Is it is it competitive? Is it the same thing? I I I for me, I mean I can speak about personally, I would watch. I would watch competitors. Um I remember going to the nineteen ninety two Olympic trials to watch. My coach brought me to go watch it. It was the best I think that was a very clear moment in my life that I said, I want to be that person. And getting my um, role model, Janet Evans, autograph, leaning over to try to get her autograph, and then watching them race and imagining myself there, absolutely. Um, but wanting to be there with them and race them, um, that was the excitement for me. It wasn't wanting to rip them apart. It was, it was a, the idea of racing them. Um, ambition yeah I, I guess but there was to me there's this part about I, I talk about this but it's like a bar that you put on yourself I I mean this is where you can get into the spiritual aspect of what is life about um, and in the pursuit of excellence it's a very intimate conversation you start to form with yourself around that question and I loved that I, I really I mean, there are times I was speaking about it with my husband last night. We were talking about exceptionalism. We were talking about Michelangelo. Um, my husband, he was in higher education. He'll read three books at a time, and he's reading about Michelangelo. Even though he's known and studied about him, he's just interested in looking more into it. I mean, we all know he's a painter. We know he was a sculptor. Um, did you know he was a poet? Did you know that um, you know he was an architect? Um, St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican. I mean, all of those pieces of who this man was, but did you know also that he, he was suffering? I mean, he was constantly suffering, having people down his throat, move, move, get this done, get this done. Um, and I, I look at, I don't know, I kind of lost my train of thought. This is like <laughs> you were talking about exceptionalism. Exceptionalism. This, this sort of trait of exceptionalism, it's it's... It is very interesting to, to consider. Yeah. And I do think, well, I always wonder to be exceptional. Are all the truly, truly exceptional pained in some way? 
is that one layer of it. Um, you know, I have to say, I seen a lot of my teammates on the Olympic team. You did know some of their stories, you know, whether a parent who's not there in the picture or something else that hasn't gone as well or a learning disability, how those things push people to find exceptionalism in other ways. Um, Do you want to pick Alejandra up? Is it Alejandra? Uh, it's Ali. Ali. It's Ali Guerrero. Ali Guerrero, sorry. I know. Sorry, you could tell. I totally lost my yeah, train of no, thought. I want to cuddle. I want to cuddle with mommy. That's all right. If anyone's watching on YouTube, you've got now got <laughs> an extremely cute little uh, accompaniment to the uh, to the video. Um, no, but I think I think just going back to that that point you were making, I, I think discomfort putting yourself outside your comfort zone. I, I, I mean, I was working with, uh, with high school age kids and I was interviewing a lot of them in my previous job. And one of the things I would always say is, you know, make sure you're putting yourself outside your comfort zone because when you do, your comfort zone increases. And I think one of the, I mean, I particularly love going to other places around the world, obviously not right now, but <laughs> going to other places around the world and experiencing other places because no matter where you go, you learn something new, you put yourself outside your comfort zone and then your comfort zone expands. And if you keep doing that, you grow as a person. I str so strongly believe that, but yeah. I also think it's so relevant in the context of what you're saying, which is when there's suffering or discomfort or, or challenge, people rise and learn and develop from that. And I wonder if that plays a, a big part in maybe exceptional people or this exceptional, especially, you know, sports people, for example, if they enjoy that challenge, if they maybe the competition is to enjoy the challenge to overcome it, to sort of be able to say, yeah, I did it. You just watched me. I so I think discomfort and pushing towards the discomfort plays a important piece in many ways. One the, the textbook definition of how you build self-confidence, going outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, right? But there's also the piece of finding an ability to remain calm and steady in the discomfort. That's, I think, where you start honing an edge. Um, I think about it with training in in swimming when i was training it was you always looked for a certain kind of either pain threshold or pushing yourself to do sets that scared you because it gave you that much more of a sense of confidence but it more of a sense of ease when the pressure was really there and you're standing next to a competitor um so for me, there was this part of ticking so many boxes. I trying to let go of the things I couldn't control and the things I could control, I journaled. So I have a couple of my journals here from those two Olympic games that in the year and run up, it's like counting all, you know, all the practices, writing out all the practices, how I was feeling, what I, you know, diet wise, um, extracurricular type of stuff that I did to help supplement and then any articles, thoughts, but it was my whole book that I could look back on and reflect of everything I had been doing in that journey towards that year as a reminder. And I always have to say that the things that always worked more sort of than anything was when I did things that kind of frightened me or made me uncomfortable. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. I, know, I, I think, I mean, there's, there's elements of pushing. So 
you know attaining a level of fitness getting your cardio to be able to achieve better better things you know i i've i've I mean, I'm nothing compared to you in terms of sport, but I've, the things I've experienced, you know, pushing myself when I was about 34, 30, yeah, 34 I was, I decided to get as fit as I possibly could, you know, and I went uh -huh. from being like a little bit overweight to being what I would say is probably the peak fitness I've had in my life or somewhere close to when I was about 17 at, you yeah. know, at double the age. And I was so proud of myself, but also yes. the, 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 the need then the feeling of like well i want to go further i want to go further i want to see how fun it was all about just me against myself it wasn't yes it wasn't me trying to beat someone or do you know it was just like this is a really cool feeling i enjoyed that discomfort and i would go out and run yes like, you know again i'd run like i mean the 10k my fastest 10k was 40 minutes dead zero 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 and i was like trying to get under 40k and i have 40 minutes and i never made it but like and so that's not that impressive but for me that was like amazing and and my heart was absolutely pounding and things but to get there you know it was like yeah. chipping away for for a long time and i think i like that discomfort and i enjoy it in all sorts of things i enjoy going and trying new things or challenging myself but i do wonder if that's like does that make you part? Does that make you competitive or something? Because clearly, I'm I'm lacking something else for the the elite of the elite level, you know. Uh, but that I hear you. Then what you said, it doesn't maybe necessarily translate for you as competitive, but a certain ambition. Mm. There was a reason, right? What drove you in terms of um, to to focus on that and want to better yourself? I think that that's the piece that matters, and it's. You know, I, it's so funny because I think the part that I missed most when I left swimming, it was that, that piece, it was training and getting out of the water and being like, well, today was a good day because mm -hmm. I gave it all I had. And it was such an easy way to see how you gave in a certain way. And that work mentality has always stayed with me. I, I tend to enjoy the days and thrive in the days where I feel like, wow, I accomplished a lot today. Um, and I, I have to say, I, when you look at a lot of athletes who've left the sports or, you know, transition to sport, it's always curious to me, but you see them a year or two out of the sport, especially if they've trained at a high level in any sport. It doesn't mean they went to the Olympics and stuff, but if you've trained at a high level obsessively about anything, and you leave it all of a sudden, I find some of those people tend to find their way to triathlons, mm. to long distance marathons, those types of things, other ways that they can experience the same type of, you know, process, but it may be in another, it feels like another realm. Um, I, I became, you know, I, when I first left swimming, it was like, okay, I'm going to be a runner. So I did a few half marathons and, and things like that. And it was, I, I loved it because it gave structure to my life. I felt, okay, today I'm going to wake up at five. I'm going to go run, you know, 12 K and then I'm going to go to work for a full day. And then, you know, at eight, I'm going to go and do. So there was like this order again that I was so familiar with of how to organize my day and check things off. Um, and then that was over. And then I got obsessed with yoga and yoga and yoga. And I wanted to learn everything, but it wasn't just for me about, I wanted the whole process of it. I wanted to learn, you know, 
Uh, so I did 500 hours of teacher training, and I just reveled in it. I loved this process of being in uncomfortable poses, but having to be able to just keep my breath steady, um, that it didn't really matter if I could do the pose, but in terms of where my mind was when I was approaching it, um, just that whole process and, and just... I, I only know how to really deep dive into things like that the way I did with swimming. It was, um, I think that's a piece of it too. I mean, how you learn, how you approach it, how you take it on. So how were you then? Because I know one thing that's that was very unusual about you, and I know a little bit about the, the sports college sort of situation in the U.S. And, and, and the way in which, you know, college athletes get sponsorships and things like that. I know a little bit about that, but not, not super much. And it's very different from how it is in, in most other countries I've, I'm aware of. Um, but you decided to sort of buck the trend and not take up a scholarship, uh, which you clearly, I'm pretty sure, would have got. I, I don't think that's arrogant of you to, to sort of acknowledge that or not. But, but, it's, but you went to Columbia, which is an Ivy League school, instead. And, and I, again, I was wondering what, what challenge, I mean, I'm assuming it was a challenge to yourself and a, and a, a sort of a sense of, no, I'm going to do this instead, something different, and I'm going to be comfortable with that. That was bef- that was after you'd competed in Atlanta, right? But before, or is that? Hang on, where 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 did that come in terms of when when your college where you had you already swum in the Olympics? Oh, or? so I my senior year I was training for Olympic trials, right? And I was applying to colleges, and then I basically went to Olympic trials in March. I had already known where I was going. I was going to Columbia. And what it was, which typically in the States, when you're good at a sport, you're basically guaranteed a scholarship at, you know, one of the top conference schools, you know, um, whether you're the beauty, you know, in swimming. I I mean, I think it depends. If you want to just focus on the sport, there are opportunities to just do that. Um, And then there's also the opportunity to study at some of the best institutions in the country. And I went on like six different recruiting trips. You're, you know, um, two, seven, two were unofficial because you can only have five paid for you. And I just didn't see myself sitting. I mean, it seemed crazy for me to say, but I just didn't see myself at Stanford. Now I look at myself, I'm like, was I really that crazy at that age to turn down an opportunity to go to Stanford? But you just, when you're, What's amazing is at that age, it's like, I just, I knew, I knew what I needed. I knew what I, and it just didn't fit. And I walked onto Columbia's campus and granted I was born in New York city. Um, I just, I felt like I was at home and I loved the idea that I could be anonymous there. And Columbia university is definitely a school that breeds anonymity. I mean, you walk on that campus, you're probably walking next to a concert pianist and who, you know, is going to be playing at Carnegie Hall, you know, later that week. Um, And I I needed that. I needed that balance to feel that swimming was just one part of my life. It wasn't the only reason I was at a university and I could get a scholarship pulled for me at any point. Um, And... So I, I chose that. I chose the decision based on academics. And um, I actually took classes. I went to the registrar's office, got a list of all the instructors who won, um, the professors who won teaching awards. And I took classes with professors. I was like, I'm going to enjoy my experience here. Um, 
And I love it. And I have to tell you, one of my first classes, um, I met a tall guy. He's like, oh, you look like an athlete. What are you? And I said, I'm a swimmer. And he said to me, oh, there's an Olympic girl here. Do you Have you met her yet? And I was like, yeah, that's me. So there are those moments where, you know, people did, you know, didn't know who you were, but other times where people could care less who you were. And I love that. That's very New York. <laughs> yeah, that's very New York. I was going to say that's big. That's a big city thing. That's similar to London as well. Yeah. A lot of people love London for that. Uh, but I would say a lot of the national team coaches wrote me off. They said she's hanging up her suit. And that's all I need. That's where my competitiveness, my grittiness comes in where I go, oh, yeah. It's like, then you really don't know me, which, by the way, coach, you wrote me a letter to help me become, you know, one of the best butterflyers in the world. I don't even swim butterfly. So it, there were things like that where I just felt like I was a part of another person's process and it wouldn't be about me doing what was best for me. And I was lucky that my parents were supportive. So I think that is, so that's the bit of you I do know. So we, we crossed paths a bit when we were both working for EF. I, I met a few times. Yes. I think I met you when you were at INSEAD actually, right? I, I think I met did I yeah, mean, I, met you I was um, J07. Right. You were December 06, no, right? No, I was J06, yeah. Which, for those not who don't care or <laughs> are listening, is July and December when you graduate from NCN. <laughs> but no, no one outside of NCN really cares about that. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, but, uh, but, but I think um, I, I, that's the one part of you I've kind of been familiar with. You're, you're a powerhouse. And I, I actually, it, it wasn't just the sort of the Olympic medals that I was like really oh, yes. interested to hear about because I think you have a fascinating history through through Colombia and then INSEAD as well which is an amazing school an amazing place to get into and I'm interested yeah. to know how were you as a student in Colombia and then in INSEAD and how do you feel like you did you apply yourself in the in the ways in which you've been sort of I don't know coached and and and, and driven in swimming did you did you find ways to drive yourself through education in a similar way and and maybe even if you yeah. talk about beyond that like in terms of work and, and uh, professional life it's a good question i think at the beginning of my time at columbia i was probably a little insecure feeling um <gasps> am I going to be able to do this and balance everything? And it took me about a semester or two to kind of get my bearings and then just go for it. Um, but I, I loved it. I loved, um, I loved the classes I took. I really appreciated, um, the, the school in general, it, it granted me the freedom to focus and do things the way I wanted to. I mean, every afternoon, weekday, I would drive off of campus to the Bronx to go train in an Olympic size pool. And so that would just cut out most of my afternoon. I'd come home and I would try to study. And I, I mean, I wouldn't sleep a lot at night. So on the weekend after morning workout, I would take like four to six hour naps, like to catch up on sleep. So, but I, I appreciated that. That was calming for me. The fact that I was doing it in a way that you know, I had other things. Um, and that's something my, my swim coach at the time had always said to me. He said, like, you can't just do swimming. You have to have other things. And I appreciated the fact that my professors don't really care what I'm doing outside of the classroom if I don't have things done on time, you know. And so that part was very grounding. Yeah, that's cool. 
He agrees. <laughs> Bless him. He's sitting there. He's run out of milk. He's a... So I want to ask you a little bit about uh, your kids, actually, and, and more about your sure. your philosophy around because I, I asked uh, one of my other guests uh, about it. And I, I find it fascinating because and the reason to so give you context, I'm I'm obsessed for me that my kids are my number one thing in my life by a million miles, you know, like uh, nothing else comes even close. And and I think about I'm very future oriented and I'm thinking about all the time. What's their future going to be like? What's the world going to be like for them? And how can I yes. try to help set them up on a on a really the best path possible? Of course, uh, you know, I am very serious about fatherhood and serious about parenting, but also I'm not very conscious we're making mistakes all the time. And yes. I've had the time is ridiculous in our household, so uh, that I'm not pretending I'm a saint or anything. But I am very focused on the future and, and for them. And I've got a very clear, in my mind, very clear set of things I want to try and get across to them but i'm interested for you as well especially given your husband was also a competitive athlete like what is their future going to be like what's your focus and your what your you know i mean I, i'm assuming you're not sort of I, I, well, I'm, I'm guessing you're not just marking them down as obvious olympians or something no but, <laughs> but i'm interested to know what is your sort of philosophy you've got a five-year-old and uh and now six months right six months yeah so this is, this is why I love that we run a swim school because I have these conversations often with parents. So I always, when I make decisions with them and my, with my husband, we, we talk about everything. And um, the, the key thing when you're trying to decide whether you kind of push your child to do something or not, the biggest piece I go to is is this is an important part of them in terms of life skill that they need to understand this and I'm being a good parent or is this about my own ego and I'm living vicariously through them? So I'll give you a perfect example. Um, oftentimes we have kids who get in touch, the parents get in touch and say, oh, my kid isn't enjoying swimming on their competitive team right now, but they really like coming for your stroke technique classes there. So we're just going to drop the competitive team and we're going to just come to your classes. Um, can they come more than twice a week, blah, blah, blah. And so I write and I said, you know, that's, always, that's an option, sure. But please consider this. I said, there is no substitute for practices. And everybody does not enjoy training in February, in the winter, in the Northeast, in the cold weather. It is a long season. But it's our just, but the only way through it, it to do it is through it. And it's not, if they plan on and enjoy competing, they need to be kind of pushed through this because to me, that is part of discipline. Mm -hmm. And I want my children to understand that. So, one of the things I would say is if my kid, you know, they're five, five, I'm still kind of like, okay, she still doesn't, you know, she's learning the concept of things and stuff. But I think six or even seven when she starts to pick you know i you know i'd love for her to try swimming to try it and but she makes a commitment okay we're going to stick through this through the year and if she tells me i don't want to go to practice today it's sorry you made a commitment you made a commitment to your team if you want to quit we can quit at the end of the season but when you make a commitment we have to see it through mm -hmm. do i care how she does in the swim meets no try your best mm -hmm. so those are the things right you try your best um, having discipline, being responsible, being honest, 
those are the things that I'm going to enforce and push on. Mm. But if she chooses that she doesn't, you know, she, she chooses that swimming isn't for her and she wants to take an art class or I said, great. Is that what you're passionate about? Do you want to look at a book on art? Do you want to read, you know, you want to see some pictures? I mean, that's where we hope to support. It's, it's letting them choose the path and what they want, mm. but then teaching how those skills that actually really help you um, stand out and be a functioning adult mm. um, are so essential. And I do think that's the responsibility of parents. I think too often parents are very quick to say, nope, they don't want to do it. I'm just going to take them out of it. And I think it's discomfort's okay. It's okay. Mm. And sometimes, yeah, it does suck. And then, but then guess what? All of a sudden the weather's warm and you're going to be enjoying yourself. You're going to love it. Um, and, and then, you know, there's another year of training that's going to come again. So I, I just feel like that part, we are both, my husband and I are very much on the same page about. But in no way do we see that my daughter and go, she's going to be a swimmer and this one's going to play soccer and, you know, whatever. Let's just hope that they're functioning adults. Yeah, that's exactly. our job. That's our job. No, I think that's a lovely, it's a, lo a lovely way to put it. I mean, I, uh, so when I was little, uh, when I was, uh, so I'm the youngest cousin within my kind of, I, I think I'm probably the youngest cousin of my mom and my dad's families. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, I think that's right. There's various other second cousins and things but my two cousins Kerry and Gareth who are up in the Midlands in the UK actually so it's like it's 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 not super warm there it's definitely not warm in the in the winter there and they were both swimmers as well they were very competitive in fact they had a, a, oh, wow. a friend who was swimming with them who went to the 92 Olympics funnily enough in Barcelona uh, competed for Great Britain um, oh, I love it but uh, but I got to go I got taken, I remember, got taken in the morning with my uncle to drop them off at swimming. And that's kind of where I got my insights at, holy moly, these guys get up early because everyone was yeah. there at the at the swimming pool, you know, getting into the pool. And, and I was like, wow, this is intense, you know. And But I, I guess from that age, I saw this like, okay, it takes, it takes effort, this. You know, it takes a lot of effort to get better. And I think... Yeah. You said try try your best and I agree with that mentality but I think try to be better is a really good phrase as well. Try try to be better because right. if you are trying to be better it means you're pushing yourself outside that comfort zone again or you're pushing yourself. Yeah. And I think that is it is extremely difficult of course as, as a parent to know what's the limit right because I mean uh, I mean well, we've got a five-year-old and we literally go from best day ever to worst day ever to best day ever in the space right. of 30 it's seconds it's still you young know? it's like it's still I, young I moved a mattress from my daughter's room yesterday into the living room so she could jump around and do gymnastics on the mattress and it's perfect before the mattress was moved I was literally getting daddy this is the worst day ever i hate this day <laughs> and as she followed me with the mattress into the living room it was like best day ever this, dad <laughs> yeah that's right i said to my wife it's a bit I, depressing and, how quickly that can change but <laughs> no but i think that that's that's another place i think um when i talk about the part with the discipline right it's always in context um our daughter we started her off she she loves music we started her off with Suzuki method of playing the cello oh, yeah. and the teacher is phenomenal. The class was wonderful, but 
I noticed in the context of that, my daughter at that point was four. I mean, she had incredible dexterity with her hands ability, but it was my only free time with her. So what was I doing? I was immediately going into a room with her and being like her teacher. Okay. Mm. here And it was backfiring that we ended up saying, not good. We're not doing this. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, that was the right decision. It's context always matters, of course, too. Right. It's not that, you know, you must always make your kids disciplined, but think about the groundwork you're laying down. And, you know, when they start choosing, they're going to tell you very clearly what they want to do. I mean, I think, my mother said that I was always, I was a fussy kid. She'd put me in the kitchen sink and I would just calm down. So she would cook. She just put me in the kitchen sink. When I was older, I just remember going, I'm going to go take a bath Mm -hmm. and just hang out in the bath water. Um, There's just always this relationship to water. My parents are not swimmers. My father, you know, they didn't swim. My mother one time got sent with her cousin to go to swim practice and they made fun of her and called her a tree trunk. My mom never went back. Um, they don't have like freestyle crawl stroke side breathing ability. I've never seen them do that. Um, but that's one place where I think, you know, my mom saw me and said, well, her energy is calm here, you know, let's put her in this. Mm. And then she just kind of stepped back. It was like one time my coach made a comment, like, you know, I think she should need, I need, think she needs to go to this meet this and and I think this is part of my mother goes yeah it makes sense to me but have you told her like she's the one who's swimming talk to her about it so I I really I appreciated them for that um they really gave me space I think part because they didn't understand the whole language of all of it but part because it was also like that's just cultural it wasn't like I'm gonna get in there and push my kid and then tell them how they should be doing and then tell the coach how to parent you know how to coach my kid I mean, less is more people. That's a big thing to me. It's leave the space. The kids will fill that vacuum. They mm. really will. Yeah. The empowerment, right? Uh, it's, it can yes. start very early. And obviously with the boundaries and safety around it, but uh, for sure it can start early. Uh, you, can, you can definitely em- empower the kids. No, I think I, I'm interested to know, have you got any brothers or sisters? I have an older sister. And is she anything like you? I mean, did she swim or does she do anything competitive? Like She swam. We grew up swimming. And I think typical story as a younger sibling, it was like I wanted to beat my older sister. Um, but I think she would say safely too, I don't think swimming was her thing. No. And I think as the older child, she did what she was kind of told. And my mom for her, my mother's all practicality. So it was convenient for her great two girls in swimming they go to the same practice they go here I don't have to deal with it (laughs) and I think my sister had said at one point she probably would have quit earlier so it's probably I would imagine it's a little bit annoying if your sister has quite an aptitude for it and she's younger than you and you're getting off to swim practice and every every swim I, I heard a statistic about you you never lost a race whilst you were swimming in was it college or in college you never in lost college. the race no but so amazing <laughs> but it's very it's very different in terms of swimming I would say at a level swimming in one of the big conferences against USC or Stanford and um, the Ivy League but the Ivy League has definitely gotten much more competitive nowadays I don't think I would still be able to do that in this day and age 
Um, and that's well, exciting for me to see. Yeah. No, but I mean, <laughs> if I was 18 right now, I don't think that would happen. Oh, come on. That's Virginia. what I mean. You get in this room. That's what I mean. <laughs> Prove him wrong. Prove him wrong. <laughs> so, no. I. You know what I was having after I left swimming? I would have these, like, nightmares that someone was telling me, you've got to go, you've got to get back in the water and make the Olympic team. You have trials in, like, two days. And I would be like. I'm not ready. I can't do this. And having these like terrifying dreams and waking up and being like, oh, thank God. <laughs> okay. Um, this feeling of like not being prepared. So, no. no. Well, um, I-, <laughs> I don't have any false uh, um, ideas about my abilities. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think you're still achieving amazing things. And I think the swim school you have, uh, I will post uh, a link to it in. Well, I'm not really entirely sure. I definitely in the YouTube video, I can post a link to it. But I will also. Uh, well, what's the website name? I've got it up on. Actually, I can put it up. Sweetblueswim.com. Sweetblueswim.com. And uh, you can follow them on uh, on Facebook as well. Uh, and uh, yeah. Anyone, and Instagram. Anyone in Connecticut, yeah. get, obviously, anyone listening is going to needs to get on and get their kids to that place. Cause yeah, we have it. We even have we have some people come down as far as New Haven and people who come from New York City to come and swim with us, which is humbling. Yeah, that's amazing. That's very, very cool. Well, I can imagine it's very inspiring to have you there, even even if you're not all about the competitions. I imagine it's very inspiring for for young people, especially young girls to, to have someone of such cool stature and, uh, and, and with such a cool history. Uh, that's around. really kind. I have to say, though, I am like an old, an old um, maid there in many sense of the word. Like I am with the younger kids and we have some phenomenal competitive swimmers working with us and the kids just gravitate towards them and they're the ones teaching the competitive ones. So I love that. I really love that. I love that generation wise, like we're, you know, you know, my husband and I are kind of the old guard and there's some younger blood, fresh blood, um, different perspective. Um, but we all kind of have that similar thread of whether it's competition, education, or competitive swimming. And it's just, it's just really nice. That's so cool. Unfortunately, my kids won't be coming because we're in Oslo in Norway. <laughs> so we are way too far away. And uh, the travel restrictions are a little challenging to get there for 5 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I wish you all the very best. And I really hope we get to connect again at some point uh, in the future because uh, I, I, I really admire you, Christina. And thank you so so much so i know it's, it's not been easy for you with the little one uh, in the background and and uh, i really appreciate you taking Thank the you. time to to speak to i me. talk about control and discipline and this is like <laughs> life is so different everybody yeah but that's the joy that's the joy i would say you said that before too and i would say he wants to say goodbye right. you hear him perfect. fussing a little perfect but that's something that i would say is that having kids has been the most beautiful experience for me yeah um and my life that's awesome well beyond the olympics little, i would say little for sure ali the gold medal sort of around your neck little ali and christina thank you so much for joining us uh thank you everybody for listening i hope you enjoyed the episode and uh we'll catch you on the next one take care thank you bye take care nick bye <laughs>